Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. Time is 6 minutes past 10 and it's Wednesday the 7th of December. 2022 oh my god i was about to say november i said wait wait that's wrong december last month of the year we have made it and we will keep going this is trouble pursuit the show where we go deep into africa and we discover different african communities jewish communities we interact with them we talk to them we learn more about their way of life and just everything in between of course i'm not alone in studio i have craig the man pressing all the buttons gave me a thumbs up not a man of many words he does that while i sit here look pretty and talk to you my dear friend at home if you do want to talk to me you can freely do so 34519 is the sms line 0618951019 is the telegram line on air at highfm.com is how you email me and at highfm is how you tweet me that's every single way you can communicate with me you have no excuse to do so so let's have fun let's interact and let us talk about the many different topics that i have for you i have news from africa i have a great friend of the show joining us later today and of course it wouldn't be travel pursuit without all that beautiful african music would it so sit back relax thank you for spending your wednesday morning with me this is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning, time is 13 minutes past 10 or 10.13 if you want to be like that. And I'm glad you're spending your Wednesday morning with me. Tell me, how was Emma Zulwini by Shasha? Her name is Shasha, she's from Zimbabwe, but I don't know, you can't just say Shasha, right? That, that doesn't sound right. You have to say Shasha. Remember how I couldn't say Splash? Okay, there, there we go. Remember how I couldn't, I'm going to try it. Remember how I couldn't say Splash? Not normally. Sounds so boring, right? You have to say splash. So yeah, that was Emma Zulwini by Shasha. I do hope you enjoyed it. Do let me know. 34519-061-895-1019 on air at highfm.com and at highfm. That's SMS, Telegram, email, and Twitter. Everybody is included here on highfm. So that time of the day where i want you to forget that you're jewish for a minute and let me tell you news that are happening across the continent of africa starting with this is this is amazing this is amazing i'm so proud disappointed but proud you know it's a bittersweet moment why we have our last team standing as africa uh-huh morocco morocco is the only african team left in the world cup and I didn't, I didn't expect them. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I expected maybe Ghana, Senegal, definitely Senegal. I couldn't shut up about Senegal. But unfortunately, I did say that they are short of their star player. And that might affect them in the long run. Because I may not be the biggest or the most avid soccer fan. But I do know sports. And I know that no matter which team it is, no matter which sport it is, if you don't have your best player, your team is heavily compromised. And we saw that with Senegal because they just 
didn't have their star player and it doesn't help the fact that he's not even a defensive player he's their star striker meaning without him you don't get goals and you don't win a soccer match by defending do you <laughs> so that's sad but i am happy why morocco they beat spain little morocco beat spain i don't think anybody expected that surely i didn't when i heard that morocco was beating spain i just thought yeah you know this, this game feels like more of a courtesy for spain you know they're just saying we gotta go through morocco to do this but Morocco said, slow your horses, buddy. Hey, ese, come down, ese. No, that's, it's Spanish, but it's Mexican. How do they, how do they say? Come down, hombre. There we go. Come down, hermano. Hermano, I love that word. So, the Atlas Lions of Morocco have beaten Spain to qualify for the quarterfinal of the Qatar 2022 FIFA World Cup. For the first time ever, I might add. They become only the fourth African team to reach that stage after Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 2002, and Ghana in 2010. After a goalless tension-soaked 120 minutes of football. It's a long time, eh? That's two hours. 120 minutes of football, both matching each other in intensity and defense. It was penalty to the rescue where Spain lost three kicks. That's sad. I'm not going to talk much about it because if you listen to the morning mayhem, Louis Coppers spent a good, a good two minutes just talking about this and how he was heavily disappointed in Spain, but still proud of Morocco because they are representing Africa. I don't know much about soccer, so I won't try to bite my tongue talking too much about it. I just wanted to let you know, if you're following the World Cup, Morocco beat Spain last African giant standing. And if you don't follow the World Cup, well, now you're informed. You can say, you can add your little two cents whenever they talk about that. <laughs> and let's bring it, let's bring it home. I don't like this one, but I guess we have to talk about it because it's probably the biggest story in the country, right? What am I talking about? Cyril, Cyril Ramaphosa, our president, Mr. President, Matamera, as his friends call him. This is, this is the biggest story in the country because we, we waiting anxiously this this is this affects everybody not only just the leadership of the country or the economy or the ANC no 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 this this is something that will affect all of us south african leaders react to ruling ANC's backing of ramaphosa following the graft report ANC's backing of President Cyril Ramaphosa and his farm scandal has sparked strong reactions in the parliament from both sides of the political spectrum. While opposition leader John Steenhazen on the Democratic Alliance denounces a tactic taken out the Zuma playbook, as he says, ANC's chief whip Penny Majordina says the party decided to stand with Ramaphosa because the panel's conclusion is not very conclusive. Wait, the conclusion is not very conclusive. What does that mean? Am I am I just too young to understand that? Is is it just because English is not my first language, so I might have to translate that to Chivenda? Conclusion, the conclusion was not very conclusive. Okay, let me keep going. Maybe I'll understand it as I keep going. On Monday, the National Party delayed the National Assembly delayed by a week a keenly watched the parliamentary vote that could lead to the impeachment of Ramaphosa as his party rallied around the embattled leader. In an eventful day, Ramaphosa, who has been under heavy political pressure, mounted an 11th hour legal bid to have a damning report on an alleged cover-up of a cash robbery at his farm annulled. Okay, this is... I remember seeing this unfold over the weekend and I, I remember texting Harry. Harry is one of the producers here at High FM and I said, Hey man, do you see how they are playing this right in front of our eyes? Do you see how they are finessing this? That's the word I used actually. Yeah, they are finessing the situation right in front of our eyes. Because we all know what happened. Well, sure, now they're saying it's all hearsay, but... It can't be hearsay for all these months, right? 
when did when did the story break out early this year and he's been ducking and dodging the story and the conversation this whole time and now finally because it has escalated and he has to answer for his actions or account for his actions everything is just changing now they're saying it's hearsay conclusion is not very conclusive somebody please explain that to me 34519 061 wait 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 061-895-1019 on air at highfm.com or at highfm somebody please tell me what conclusion is not very conclusive is because that doesn't make sense to me the ending is not over the ending is not the end what what does that mean but Cyril Ramaphosa Cyril Ramaphosa has been found with this cash we know this and already we we know that last time I checked you're not allowed to have that much cash in a foreign currency you just can't it's illegal out I forgot exactly what law it is please I did not do economics or accounting I stopped that in EMS in high school because it is not for me so I may be wrong but you can't have that much cash as is so that's a crime in itself right surely you should at least tell us about that and he's saying that yeah it's for, it's for some buffalo that I sold to a to a businessman in Africa and now he's saying he wants his refund because he never even got his buffalo what is happening Cyril I will be following this story. We all will because we we need to follow this and understand exactly what is happening. 1020 is the time, 101.9 High FM. This is Trouble Pursuit. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao. And that was what's happening in Africa. Or rather, what happened with the news stories that I had to give you for the day. I feel like I've been talking for a while now. And I need, I gotta just relax. 101.9 High FM, this is Trouble Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning, I hope you enjoyed that song. But I do have something to tell you. I do have another story for you from Zimbabwe. I actually realized after I started playing the song, I said, wait a minute. This is a big story that I wanted to tell you because it's so, it's not really relevant to us as well, but it's very important to talk about. Electricity! Zimbabweans are without power for 19 hours a day as the Kariba Dam runs dry. Now the Kariba Dam of course is part of the system from the Zambezi River. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, the Karib the Kariba Dam is connected is connected to the Zambezi River and they all they all supply water to you know all these dams that are used for hydroelectricity, which comes down to South Africa as well. So I'm, I actually wanted to find out if this will affect us as well because we're already, it's not like we don't have a power crisis as is, right? Zimbabweans are being subjected to 19 hours of power cuts a day because there is insufficient water in the Kariba Dam to drive the nation's main hydropower plant. The worst outages since 2019 are wreaking havoc, causing snarl-ups in Harare, the capital, where most traffic lights are no longer working and interrupting mobile phone services because batteries used to run base stations don't have time to recharge. Supermarkets, restaurants, and some other businesses rely on generators to keep up Operating, but they're unable to run to run them perpetually for an extended period. Wow. Welcome to South Africa. Sorry, I mean Zimbabwe. Welcome to Southern Africa, let's say that. <laughs> so this is bad news for Zimbabwe. The level of usable water in the Kariba, which is the world's largest man-made reservoir and is tapped by both Zambia and Zimbabwe. Oh, Zambia, not us. We are good. It stood at 4.1% as of November 28, a record low, according to the Zambezi River Authority, which manages water supply to the two southern African nations. Zimbabwe has used up its water allocation from Kariba this year and was drawing 200 megawatts of power from the dam's hydropower plant on Monday, less than a fifth of the installed capacity. And, excuse me, 
it should be able to access according to data on the Zimbabwe Power Company website. That's bad news. That's bad news. I do hope the pop the, it fills up. And this reminds me of us not having electricity. I just found it very interesting how we both don't have electricity. We both have power crisis. Obviously, we rely less on hydropower and we, re we rely more on coal and all that. But in South Africa, the coal is either wet or we, or we never have diesel. So, hey, you just got to take the hand you're dealt, right? By the way, is your shopping list longer and your time shorter? Discom Delivered has you covered. From healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty, and toiletries, whatever you need, Discom Delivered has you covered. Download the easy-to-use Discom app and shop over 7,000 products at in-store prices that will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Discom delivers the essentials to you. It's that simple. Discom Delivered from Discom to you. Discom Pharmacies. Pharmacist, who care? 101.9 High FM, this is Travel Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukuni Mudao. Time is 10.27, still Wednesday, the 7th of December 2022. Do not go anywhere. In a few minutes, we will be talking to a friend of the show, Ms. Bonita Sussman from Kulanu. Do you remember Kulanu? The organization that interacts with different Jewish communities from, from, diff from all across the world, mainly in Africa, and they help them establish themselves, and they give them resources and material and everything in between. Well, stay tuned for that. We're going to have a lot of fun. If you do have any questions if you do have anything to say to any other conversations that we've had today 3451 is, 34519 is the sms line 0618951019 on air at high fm.com and at high is how you tweet me that's every single means of communication given to you do not have any excuse get in touch with your friend we'll be back this is tribal pursuit with mukundi mudao venturing deep into africa to discover the who how and why of the beautiful people that identify as jewish 101.9 high fm this is tribal pursuit and i'm your dear friend mukundi mudao top of the morning with me today is bonita sussman she's from kulanu an organization that helps and interacts with jewish communities all around the world but today i managed to get her to talk about the ones in africa so, Ms. Sussman, without wasting any time, could you please tell me your engagement and experience with some of these African Jewish communities that you've been to? Okay, so here's, here's my story. I'm a volunteer with Kulanu, a group that deals with emerging, returning, and isolated Jewish communities around the world. We're in 33 countries now, and we have multiple communities in Africa, in different countries and sometimes within a country there are multiple groups. So I know that you, you're talking about Uganda and the Lemba say in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Are you interested in like Nigeria or Cameroon or Cote d'Ivoire or Gabon? Because I visited all those places with my husband Rabbi Gerald Sussman, and I'm willing to talk about any of my, any of those communities and others. Oh, yes, and I visited Nigeria as well. Oh, yes, that would be lovely. I want to hear everything. <laughs> okay, so we visited Cameroon a long time ago. The way I make connections with these communities is they find Kulanu, and Many of them have been practicing Judaism for many, many years, and they learned it online. Many of them come from Christian backgrounds of different sorts, evangelical movements. We have one leader in Cameroon who was a bishop, a worldwide bishop. He had two or 3,000 people in his church. He, 
he um, he traveled the world and one day he woke up and said and had a dream and said no he wants to only pray to the God of Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and he left Christianity and with him his congregation sort of disappeared and he self-taught and he's still the leader of this of a small community there the original community that I went to visit started out also as evangelical. They were actually a breakaway from the bishop's community. And they also learned online and there they were in a very, what I would call very far away village from Yaoundé, the capital. They, we had to go like an hour and a half in a van and then take a little moped to the village in Sa where they resided. There wasn't very much running water. There were outhouses. People chopped the wood to cook the food. The women of the community spent Shabbat preparing for us, catching the fish, grinding the um, to make the oil from the coconuts. And for American people, this is certainly very unusual we go to the store and we buy the stuff but their dedication their knowledge was absolutely off the charts they um, had prayer services that were three hours long and um, everyone was very knowledgeable and we were greeted like we became part of their family that was the first African community that we attended now there are three or four groups in Cameroon that are practicing Judaism Wow. So from this one guy alone, other neighboring communities managed to band together and form their own little Jewish groups and communities. Well, I wouldn't exactly say that. Some The bishop, I, I don't know if I should say names or not, but the bishop <laughs> that was once there I, I, for protection, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to give names. So the bishop actually was the first leader of these groups and some of them broke away from him. There are other groups that find it on their own. The big piece of information here is that the internet made a big difference in Africa. And at one point, I always say what the translation of the Christian Bible did for Christianity, the internet did for Judaism, because if you want to learn about Shabbat, or you want to learn about being kosher, or you want to learn about Jewish holidays, or you want to learn Jewish texts, or you want to learn how to pray from a Jewish siddur, you can Google it. You can Google it. Everything is on the internet, just the whole world. Yes. And I have a funny story. We also visited Madagascar. I forgot to say that one, where we did over, I brought a group of rabbis, independent of Kulanu, but Kulanu kind of organized it, where we did over 120 conversions a bunch of years ago. And the funny thing with the internet is on Shabbat, evening they were singing the psalm a woman of prey of a woman of valor who can find in hebrew what's called to eshet chayil and they only sang the first eight lines and i said well how come you're not singing the whole thing and they said because online we could only find eight lines <laughs> wow <laughs> okay so the internet played a very huge role in the development of judaism across africa and at this point, you could get any kind of Jewish book, Maimonides. I know people ask me for Tanya, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Lubavitch textbook, so to speak, guidebook. 
they learn everything online. So having said that, after Cameroon, we went to Gabon, which was an emerging Jewish community, but it was very basic. This was also run by a minister who had a thousand people and had a dream that said, do not pray to the false God anymore. And he only wanted to go to pray to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he knew nothing about it, actually. And um, he also lost his congregation. He lost his livelihood. People dropped away from him when he changed Sunday worship to Shabbat. Mm -hmm. People said, you're not Christian anymore. What's wrong with you? And um, <laughs> they all lost faith with him. And he was left with about 60 people. And uh, he is being taught by people in Cameroon who really have very strong Jewish education. Also, you should know that one of the leaders of the community, not the bishops, but the one that I visited in Sa, he went to rabbinical school in Israel. So there, there are also people around Africa who are training to be rabbis in different ways so they could learn their, you know, they could lead their communities. Hmm. So we went to Gabon and they changed, I said they changed Friday practice, they changed their worship from Sunday to Shabbat. And uh, they're in a continual Jewish growth experience. After Gabon, we went to Cote d'Ivoire and we should be returning to Cote d'Ivoire in December. And there we also brought a, a few rabbis to do conversions there. We did about 60 something conversions. I don't remember the number. Speaking of conversion, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Speaking of conversion, are the people that are sometimes hesitant to convert when you approach them? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. There are the Lemba have a big internal debate there where they say we're Jews. How can you tell us we need conversion? No, uh, yes, it's a big yes. debate. See, that's why I asked because I actually talked to Modric Maricera of the Lemba about a month and a half ago, and he told me the exact same thing. He said, "Why should we convert if we're already Jewish?" Right, right. So there is a big issue there. I mean, the. The broader issue is acceptance into the worldwide Jewish community. And there's a debate about that. And I totally understand the debate. It's not only with the Lemba, it's within the Igbo in Nigeria, uh, who claim they are from the tribe of God. And people that feel they have Israelite origins say we're just as Jewish as anybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we don't need conversion. So there are groups that want conversion. There are groups that don't want conversion. In the Kulanu world, there were 20 communities that are waiting to be converted. But I want to say it's not the vast majority of communities there that we deal with. Yeah. So after, so in Cote d'Ivoire, they wanted conversion. There is an Israeli person who is an expat from Israel. And he really kind of leads the place. What was very interesting about Cote d'Ivoire was that it came out of the Kabbalah Center movement that was in Africa. And I believe Philip Berg, over 25 years ago, set up through the International Kabbalah Center 
five centers in Africa. The mm. one in Cote d'Ivoire, it was open to everybody. It had no Jewish, you know, it had no Jewish demands or anything like mm. anybody could go. It was open to the public. And a group from from that center in Abidjan said in order to really get into Kabbalah, you have to learn Judaism. So they formed a, a community. And there are several groups that they've been changing. The groups have been merging and leaving each other. So it's kind of fluid. Right now, there's a pretty strong group there. There's also a very, very small number of um, Ivorians who are, call themselves Dan. I mean, no, there are Danites in Cote d'Ivoire, and they claim their origin is from the tribe of Dan, mm -hmm. and a very uh, two, double handful, you know, four handfuls of people say they want to return to Judaism because of their origin from the tribe of Dan, and that Jacob was really their father being part of the tribe. Mm. Okay? So you have different origins. They're coming in Africa. The communities come from different places. Um, they have different, I mean, they have different origins, right? Mm. Some come from Christianity that don't claim Jewish origin. Some claim Jewish origin from Israelite, you know, from Israelite origins. I know the prince, I know I'm jumping around, but the prince in Madagascar currently while he's not a practicing Jewish person, um, he still remains a Christian. He said all of Madagascar comes from Israelite origins, and he bases it on some archaeological and linguistic and historical information where the Malagasy people think or believe, I don't want to say think, but believe they are of Israelite origin. And then you have those claiming tribal origin, like the Igbo and the Danites, and um, yeah. This is Trouble Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao, and I'm talking to Benita Sussman today, based in New York, and she is from an organization called Kulanu. They interact with different Jewish communities around the world, and they help them as best they can. Today, however, we're focusing on the ones in Africa. So, Ms. Sussman. I've talked to a few people, and some of them share my sentiments, some of them don't. Some say, and this is exactly how I feel as well, they say that whether or not these people are telling the truth is not up to us to decide. It's not our job to decide whether they're telling the truth about being uh, from a certain tribe, being descendants of Israel. As long as these people say that they're Jewish, it's our job and responsibility to help them as best we can. Do you share the same view? Absolutely, 100%. Oh. 100%. We need Jewish people, and I always say after the Holocaust and the destruction of Jewish communities in Northern Africa, mm. um, the Jewish people need to rebuild itself. And it's the first time in Jewish history that there are groups that are clamoring to become part of the Jewish world. And the established Jewish community doesn't exactly know how to deal with this because they're used to having people run away, you know, assimilating. They're not used to having people come 
and bang on the doors and say, we want to be part of your history. It is our history too. So it's an evolving conversation within, I would say, the established Jewish world, but uh, absolutely no one in Kulanu, we accept everybody. No one will question your origin. You know, if you say that your origin, I mean, I mean, I believe I'm of Jewish origin, but I don't know if I can prove that. <laughs> I get you. As long as you say you're Jewish and that's what you believe, then I'll accept you for what you say you are. Absolutely. And I, mean, I, I, I don't think I could prove my Jewish origin. And the whole genetic thing is kind of up in the air as well. True. Because... You know, when they do the genetic testing thing, which is also a big debate within, uh, I know, the Ebos and the Lemba, we have the Yemenite community in Israel or the Ethiopians don't necessarily have Jewish genetic backgrounds. So that doesn't make, if you have a Jewish gene doesn't make you Jewish. What makes you Jewish is that you practice and live a Jewish life and and, you know, you have Jewish holidays and life cycle events, and those mm -hmm. become yours. Mm -hmm. I mean, what makes a Christian? Exactly. Life cycle events, right? What makes you a Hindu? True, true. Because I was talking to a member of the Ethiopian Jewish community a couple weeks ago, and she was saying that growing up in Ethiopia, they didn't even know that there were other Jewish people around. You know, they didn't even know that there were other Jewish people outside of Ethiopia. And when they did, and they finally moved to Israel as the whole community, it was very weird at first seeing people like that. But it just goes to show you can't really prove that this person is Jewish and this other person isn't. Yeah, yes. Right, so it's not genetics that determine your Jewishness. Like, I mean, I, and this might be an aside, but in America we have like, big Jewish families that had big Jewish names and they're Episcopalians now. So, so they might have Jewish genetics, but they're actually practicing Christians. You know, so you can't, um, the genetic piece is a very murky piece in people's identity a chip, like how, how do people form what their identity is? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, mm, I understand. I understand. And how was it being with these communities and interacting with them and actually getting there? I know that some of them, if not most of them, actually approached you as an organization, but some of these communities are very secretive and boxed in, mostly because of their history or their placing the country or politics. It could be a bunch of factors. How was it actually being on the ground with these people and communicating with them? It's very interesting because I never encountered that problem because sometimes Kulanu people who visit and someone like me and my husband, we're the first ones to respond to them in a meaningful and respectful way. Mm. So they're only opening the doors for us. So I, I have not encountered any resistance to my presence there um, at all. I mean, they were just welcoming. I became part of people's families by visiting them. You know what I mean? I, I, I couldn't imagine a more embracing group than the communities that I visited. 
Mm. I see, I see. Because it's funny, I was actually talking to John David a few weeks ago, and he said the same thing. He said that while he was there, he felt like a member of the community, he met some of the most welcoming, some of the friendliest people ever while he was there, and he never encountered a single problem. Very friendly people. Yeah, like the friendliest, the, the most loving. I, I, no, I, I just didn't find any resistance or or difficulty in breaking into the group. They uh, they all right away invite us to come. We stay in their houses. The hospitality is like really exemplary and uh, their love of Judaism is beyond expectations of anything you could find you know, in, even in America, it's difficult to find the dedication and the self-sacrifice of these communities that only want to be part of the Jewish people. You're listening to Trouble Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao, and today I'm talking to Mrs. Benita Sussman of Kulanu. That is an organization based in New York that helps and supports Jewish communities all around the world. But today we're focusing on the ones in Africa. So, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Mrs. Sussman, getting there as somebody who was born and raised in New York, what were some of the things that shook you as soon as you got there as in culture shock, the way they practiced, be it the way they practiced Judaism, just the way of living? What was the biggest culture shock for you when you got there? The first shock was when my husband and I went to India and we saw, you know, the extreme poverty and the cultural differences there. So when we came to Africa and we saw poverty there, it wasn't the shock. The truth is that not all the communities that we visited in Africa are poor, okay? And so that may have been more of a shock Then um, certainly the community that we visited in Abidjan was not a poor community. So that was more, in a way, surprising of the economic development in certain pockets in Africa mm-hmm. that we saw. And the myth, like in America, that everything in Africa is poor, you know is just not true or um the people that we met many were very 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 educated and so you know i think that answers your question i think if there was a a a surprise that was it well i guess it was more of a pleasant surprise then (laughs) yes 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 Uh, yes and you know i i mean i i could add that the see africa at least the places I've been to, where because of European colonization, they had a, a, I don't want to say they had a European flavor, but they had a familiar flavor. It wasn't like culturally so different, except in like in tourist places that would have wanted, you know, us to see native art or some kind of thing like that, where Indian culture was totally different was totally not familiar. African culture was familiar on many, on different levels. I mean, there were differences, but, you know. Not, not shocking. 
not a shock, right? So you brought this up in passing earlier on. I'd just like to know a bit more. How exactly do you help these communities besides just bringing them scripts and books? Okay, so this is an interesting point because I just had a meeting and I talked about it that over the, I don't know, I'm involved 12, 15 years, I've watched Jewish development. I've watched the communities develop Jewishly. So in the beginning, they may ask for prayer books or they may ask for a teacher. Now they're asking for building materials of their synagogue, synagogue furniture. And now they're educated enough that they need a Torah. And so Kulanu gets donations of Torah and um, to communities that are ready, that can store it, that can read it on Shabbat, and we give it to them. So that the level of request and need has changed over the years. And Mm. now we're seeing more synagogues being built, um, more yeah, more demands for furniture in the synagogues that we have. There's now a few guest houses that are in the, I know in Ghana, there's a guest house. In Kenya, there's a guest house. In Uganda, there's a guest house. So there are now guest houses for people to stay where there's kosher food. They could get kosher food if they want. We're planning a conference where we will bring in some kosher slaughterers from, from Israel to teach kosher slaughtering because some of the communities won't eat meat. If, if they don't eat halal, some only eat fish, the scales and fins. So some haven't had chicken or meat in years. Because no one in the community knows how to slaughter kosher. Kosher. Wow. So what you're saying and what you've seen is that the communities have now grown from a place where they just wanted to learn to a point where now they've learned enough and all they need is resources. I would say that's that's generally true. Every so often we get a new community that needs a teacher, that needs, that we do Zoom classes. Like there's a Zoom class where that meets every Wednesday where uh, I know Modric attends, where they're learning Maimonides, but they have people from Pakistan and people from all over Africa coming to this class. Wow. So they're doing advanced Jewish study online. So Kulanu provides the venue and in in poor in poorer communities will supply solar panels for electricity so they can and we give uh, we have a technology fund that will give computers, uh, laptops and cell phones and solar panels if needed to charge uh, their equipment so that they can go online and gain access to Jewish resources. Okay, okay, I understand. With that being said, unfortunately, we are out of time. Ms. Sussman, I'd like to thank you once again for taking the time out of your day to talk to us today. And we hope to talk to you again some other time in the future. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. That was Bonita Sussman from Kulanu, an organization that helps and interacts with Jewish communities from around the world. But today we're talking about the ones in Africa. This is Tribal Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish.
101.9 Hi FM, this is Trouble Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudal. Top of the morning, 10.56 of the time, which unfortunately means we are out of time. But do not worry because I will be back in seven days. If you enjoyed my conversation with Benita Sussman, you will find it on our website as a podcast. Go Just simply open High FM, go to podcasts and you will find it there. Don't just listen to that. We got a lot of great shows on High FM that I am certain you will enjoy. But unfortunately, you will not hear from me for another seven days. Just because I'm leaving does not mean High FM is. Stay tuned. Your, your Landy Becker is coming up next and she's going to tell you about everything about babies and in between with Bob with Bump and Beyond. As always, until next time, enjoy the rest of your day.